So what we're going to look at tonight is the faithfulness of God. Because he only greatest sight of his faithfulness in our lives. I'm just going to say a word of prayer. Lord, we are so thankful, Lord, for just the worship time and just how wonderful it is to be in your presence and be refreshed by your spirit, Lord. And I do pray that as we have this time in your word tonight, Lord, that you would impart to each and every one of us what you want to impart. You know what each person came in here tonight with. And Lord, I pray that you would just speak to them in a very personal way as you always do through your word and through your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you would increase our faith tonight as we hear the word of God. I pray that our faith would arise despite the trials some might be facing in this room and despite what tomorrow might hold for us. We just ask this in Jesus' name. So when we look at our culture, I mean, I had a whole list of things for the FPC conference, everything that's going on in the church, in the culture, globally, and most of you hear that here all the time, so I don't have to repeat it. But when we look at everything that's going on, it's very hard to walk by faith, right? Because reality is, we, that was the word the Lord gave us, right? I mean, the beginning of the year, walk by faith and not by sight. And how many of us have been challenged in that this year? To walk by faith and not by sight. So we have personal trials too that we go through. And it's very difficult at times to say, come, where are you in this? I know what your word says, but where are you in this situation? You know, we could feel that way sometimes. So the first question I have there is how do we walk by faith in our generation? Well, Romans 10 verse 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we have to be in the word because that increases our faith. And even if you listen to the word on CD or however you choose to listen to it, it really does something inside, you know, you feel like if you're having like a day where it's like, Lord, I just feel heavy, I feel heavy. But if you could get some time alone where it's just you and him and listen to the word or read the word, you find all of a sudden it seems like that heaviness starts lifting off of you, it comes off. I'm encouraged, even though I see everything happening globally and in the world and where we are as far as our nation, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 through 21 tells us we have the prophetic word, God's word confirmed, which we do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. So even though the world keeps getting darker and darker, we have God's word. His word is prophetic. His word is true. His word is really unfolding before us. We're seeing everything that God proclaimed in his word come to pass. And it says that it shines, that light shines in a dark place. So it doesn't matter how dark it gets. God's word shines in the midst of the darkness. In fact, the darker it gets, it shines even brighter. Think about, we live here in Kentucky, right? 
some places where we live at, there's not much lighting. I know out by us, there's hardly any lights. And you know how the sky lights up with all the stars. And it just seems like the darker it is on certain nights, it's brighter the lights. And that's what the word of God is to us. It shines that much even more brighter. So it says, we, we will do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, the confirmed prophetic word until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that, again, is the only truth we can believe today. Everything else is a lie. Whatever does not line up with the word of God is a lie. Okay? So Romans 15.4 tells us whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So that's telling me everything that's been written in the Bible from the Old Testament from the very beginning of time in Genesis to the end of the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ gives me hope. It comforts me. Patience somehow. I can have patience, comfort, and hope from the scripture. So whenever you're feeling hopeless, the answer is to get into the Word of God. Whenever you need comfort, the answer is to get in the Word of God. Whenever you feel like, I need patience, because I want everything to happen now. And then we see, when we get in the scripture, a day with the Lord is like a thousand of a thousand is one day. So his timetable, he's in eternity, so there's no timetable. So you realize, okay, Lord, because I want this thing to happen now proves that I need patience because I don't want to wait for it. And how many times he makes us wait for it, you know, because it's a good thing. He's building character in us. It's character. He's very concerned about what comes out of us. So in the Old and the New Testament, this, the saints that have gone before us teach us how to live by faith. For, for um, we just came in, so I just wanted to share, like, the word for the church at the beginning of this year was to walk by faith, not by sight. But since January started, we have all been tested in that and continue to be tested in that. So, so we started a Bible study called Walk by Faith, right? <laughs> and we took a break for a little while but because I had the two conferences coming up and preparing the talks for that. But now that that's done, I felt this was a good way to jumpstart our Bible study again because it was the thing that I spoke at FBC. So what we learned from the Old Testament saints, Joshua and Caleb, okay? Joshua and Caleb had to live out their faith in their generation. God made a promise to their forefathers that they were going to go into the promised land. So Moses sent them to spy out the promised land. And what did they come back? Most of them came back with a bad, evil report. There's giants in the land. There's it's, it's enemies in the land. We can't conquer this land. But Joshua and Caleb were of a different spirit, Scripture says. And he said in, in Numbers 13, 30, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Wow. 
in the midst of giants, in the midst of so many enemies, they saw something different. You know what it was? God made us a promise. God made us a covenant promise with our forefather, Abraham. He said, the land is ours. He's not going to lie to us. Basically what he was saying, the Bible says it, or God has said. Now we're learning from their example. So because God has said and the Bible says, whatever the promise is, I believe it. And that settles it. Simple childlike faith. God tells me don't worry about tomorrow, that he takes care of the birds of the air, clothes the grass of the field. Why am I worrying about tomorrow? Because God told me. He knows what I need before I ask. He knows what I need. The Bible is the most trustworthy and authoritative source that we have in our generation. That should be a comfort. It's the most trustworthy and authoritative source that we have in our generation. And that's why there's a war going on in our culture for the word of God, against God. Trusting in the Bible is equivalent to trusting in God because he's the author. He's the author. David also lived out his faith in his generation. He was facing Goliath. Now these are men of God that had things they had to face and overcome. But they overcame their obstacles by believing in what God says and what we see. Listen to David's faith here. I'm summarizing 1 Samuel 17, 34-47. David said to Saul, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of a lion and from the paw of a bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Then David took his staff in his hands and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand. Then he said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Yes. What faith! Right. Right. Goliath was humongous. And here's little David. Yeah. 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 And the faith that he had, he didn't care what he, Goliath looked like. He remembered past victories. He remembered and he proclaimed victory before he even saw it. He knew this day the Lord's going to give you into my hands. You know, that 
word there where it says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the Hebrew word for name there is Shem, meaning a name of honor, authority, character, fame, glory, and reputation. I come in his name. And his name is a name of honor. It's a name of authority. It's a name of character, a name of fame, a name of glory and reputation. And, you know, it just made me think as I was looking at the scripture, meditating on it today, how is the Lord using what you're facing, really, today, in order to reveal himself to you in a greater way? Because remember, David said that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that word know is yada in Hebrew, and it's an intimate word. It's an intimate knowledge of someone. To know, yada means to know, learn to know, to know by experience, to be acquainted with, to be made known, to become known, to make oneself known, to reveal oneself. So when it says God wants to reveal himself, to make his name known, in that generation, in that battle that he was facing, it just made me think of how could the Lord be using what you're currently going through so you might know him in a more intimate way. Because he wants us to know him in a more intimate way. And this intimacy is the same intimacy between a husband and wife, that kind of knowing, that kind of intimacy. Not sexual. Whoever's listening to my twist it to something perverted, but it means that intimate knowledge that a husband and wife know about one another that no one else knows about. See, you know, things you share with one another that you wouldn't share with anyone else. God wants us to know him in that way. Elijah, too, had to live out his faith in his generation. 1 Kings 17, verses 1 through 6, and in James 5, 16 through 19, I'm encouraged when I read this because it says Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Isn't that encouraging? Yes. Yay! <laughs> and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. That took faith. That took faith to believe when he prayed that it would not rain for that amount, specific time frame. And he prayed again. And the heavens gave rain. And the earth produced its fruit. And Elijah, what the backdrop of the story, he went to King Ahab and told him that there wasn't going to be any rain until he prayed for it again. That's a faith. I mean, because he's going to the king telling him this. That's a faith that I believe if I pray for this thing, God's going to actually do it. And God told Elijah to tell the, that to the king that there wouldn't be rain because he was doing all kinds of wicked things, worshiping false gods instead of the one true God. God's judgment on the land. So what we see in Psalm 119, verse 89 and 91, the psalmist says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. 
forever. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. Back in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God made a promise right after they sinned in Genesis 3.15 that he was going to send the Messiah to die for mankind to reconcile them back to the Father. So from way back in Genesis, that generation, to the generations that we're looking at, they all saw God's faithfulness. So do we. Right? Even in our generation, we see his faithfulness in our lives. Scripture says you will establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances. And we see God created the heavens, the earth, everything. In Genesis, we read about that. God said, I love it. God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. If you read that chapter, how many times it said, God said, and it was so. And we are witnesses of it all. It still remains. It's still going. How many generations later God is faithful? 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God. And the question as I was reading that, just meditating on the scriptures, is can you believe God for the apostle? Many of you here have. And you've seen God do the impossible. There'll be other impossibilities that come in the future. But we have to remember his faithfulness. We see the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, our own testimony that testifies God's faithful. He's faithful. We're not. But he is. Scripture has much to say about God's faithfulness. Exodus 34, Moses. This was during Moses' time. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Moses had asked the Lord to reveal his glory to him. And he descended in the cloud and stood with Moses and proclaimed the name of the Lord, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. Just think about this. And the time we're living in now, with every crazy and evil thing going on in our world, and globally, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. In Psalm 106, verse 8, we read, Nevertheless, he saved them out of Egypt, children of Israel, again, for his name's sake, Shem, his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. He wants us to know that there is nothing too difficult for him. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandment. Those who love you. 2 Timothy 2.13 says if we are faithless, 
or believe not, he remains faithful, for he can't deny himself. That word faithful there in the Greek is pistos, meaning he's trustworthy, he's sure, he's true, he's faithful. For example, like in a business transaction, he keeps his end of the bar, the, the deal, if I could say it that way. He's worthy of trust. He's the only one who could be relied on. That's what that word faithful means. So why do we trust other things? There are it. Faithful. I mean, we have the God of the universe that could be totally trusted in all things. And he's proven himself to so many generations, so many saints that have gone before us. David, in Psalm 36, verse 5, says, Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heaven, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. And on a rainy day, when we look up at the clouds, what do we see? What appears sometimes? A rainbow. What does that rainbow stand for? What does that rainbow stand for? God's promise is to flood the earth again. Yes, God's promise never to flood the earth again, but it was a covenant promise. Isn't that amazing how long ago we made that covenant promise, the days of Noah, and to this day we can see that rainbow in the sky? Don't tell me there's no God. <laughs> you know how else we also know there's a God? Israel. Yes. All the promises that were made. We see the nation Israel that was birthed in 1948. May of 1948. We got to see the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. Faithful? Yes. Has Israel been faithful no. to God? No. no. Psalm 89, verse 8 says, O Lord of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. Then we have Habakkuk's generation. We studied Habakkuk. A couple of years ago, I think it was during the COVID. We studied that book, but in Habakkuk, just as a reminder, the people of God were going into captivity because they were unfaithful or disobedient to God. And in Habakkuk two three, the Lord showed him what was coming: the Assyrians or the Babylonians were coming to take them captive, Judah captive. And he had told Habakkuk, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. And they were taken into captivity for 70 years, just like the Lord said they were going into captivity for 70 years. So we see God keeps those promises too, if we're disobedient. But during that time, it was very, very dark. The Babylonians were brutal. And it's amazing how through the prophet Ezekiel, God gave them a promise they could hold on to as they were going into that time. And we've heard this here at church, the Ezekiel 36, 28, 25 through 28. 
He promised, and this is still to Israel today, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And we see God doing that in our lives, but we need to believe the Lord to do this for Israel. But he gave them that promise when they were going into captivity. How many promises has God given us in this book during a very dark time that we live in that we can cling to Despite what we see, despite what we hear, he's given us many promises. Remember, this is the prophetic word of God that shines as a light in the darkness. And we have this treasure that God has given to us and that saints were willing to die for so that we still have this in our hands for our generation so we may know him, yada, know him intimately not just have religious duties and activities, but actually have a relationship with the creator who made us for his purpose. In our generation, we have a purpose, just like all these men and many women that have gone before us. So Samuel told Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 28, when Saul had not obeyed the Lord, he told him to destroy the Amalekites, and he didn't. He took King King Ahab and Agak, but King Ahab, Agak. He took him and took the best of the lamb and the sheep and all that. And Samuel basically told Saul, Saul, the Lord's going to rip the kingdom from your hand because you were disobedient. You didn't do what he sent you to do. And he said, the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent. For he's not a man that he should relent. And we see he tore the kingdom from Saul. I mean, Saul died on the battlefield with his sons, and David was anointed king, crowned king of Israel. So there we see his faithfulness in that situation too. Whenever there's disobedience, there's consequences for that. And God is faithful to proclaim what the consequences are for disobedience in his word. So just like we like all the yes and amen promises, <laughs> there are those promises too. When we're disobedient, we're going to reap what we sow. I mean, it's so yes. clear in the word of God. So 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9 says... God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we, it would be good to remind us of us that, remind ourselves of that. The minute we wake up, from the minute we go to bed, but God, you're faithful. I don't care what it looks like. God, you're faithful. I don't care what it sounds like. God, you're faithful. Verse Peter 4, verse 19 says, Therefore let those who suffer 
according to the will of God, commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Revelation 3.14 says, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And Revelation 22.6 says, Then he sent to me, Write these words, these words. They're all faithful and they're true. And these are just snippets. The scriptures, the examples I gave, they're just snippets. There's so much more that can be looked at and addressed. But I just wanted you to see what scripture has to say about God's faithfulness. So the next point on your handout, why do we doubt God then? There's so much evidence. Why do we doubt him? Why do we battle with unbelief sometimes? John the Baptist did, right, when he got arrested? He said, is he truly the Messiah? Is Jesus truly the Messiah? Even he doubted at one time. What about Peter when he started to walk on water? He did fine when his eyes were on Jesus, but the minute he got his eyes on the winds and the waves and everything else, he started sinking. We doubt him at times. God knows. He knows. We're going to wrestle with that. But we have to realize that we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle. That's why we doubt at times. We're, and especially now, we're in a spiritual battle for the word of God. And that happened from the beginning of time with Adam and Eve. Had God really said, can't really trust him. Can't really trust in his word, right? That was the lie that Satan was speaking and still speaking it to this day. But why do we let him speak in our ear? Why do we listen to his lies when we have proof, when we know personally who God is, how he's been with us? We really are in the battle, and this is the battle from the garden where uh, Satan, you can't really believe everything he says, so you have to be your own God. You need to be your own God. You need to be independent. You can't trust him. You can't want, he's going to fail you. Even though he provided everything they needed for life and godliness in the garden of Eden, he came with that lie. You can't trust them. You need to provide or do for yourself. You need to live independently of them. Be your own God. The other reason why we doubt God is our human tendency is much like the children of Israel in the wilderness. We walk by sight or our senses, just like they did, right? It's easier to believe the things we see than the things we don't see, if we're honest with ourselves. Adam and Eve did this. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. I read this today uh, in my little uh, booklet I got from David Jeremiah like a month ago. 
and I, I haven't read it. I've had it beside in my living room, and I picked it up today and sat on my deck, and I was reading it. And this this quote was in there. I was like, this is good. It was, it was really good, the whole little booklet that he has. It says, we live in a world that is both material and spiritual. On the material side, we access our world through our five senses, sight, touch, taste, smell, and hearing. It's easy to be enticed by the things of the, this world to think they will bless our lives. Isn't that true? It's so true. I read that, I was like, that's so true. That's what happened with the children of Israel. In Numbers 11, verses 1 through 6, and Numbers 14, 22 through 23, they had yielded to intense cravings. And one of the things they were saying when they were in the wilderness is, we remember the fish, cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic while we were in Egypt, and there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. What? That was angel food <laughs> that came down from heaven. And the disdain they had in their heart, what God had provided for them, was evil. But don't we do that too? We do it too. God provided a table in the wilderness for them. He provided bread or manna. I've already said it's angels food. He provided meat. Remember, they were sick of eating the manna, so send us some meat. So he did. He sent them quail so it was coming out of their nostrils. And he was angry with them. <laughs> Scripture said he was angry with them. They even accused him, you brought us out here to kill us. What? But don't we feel like that sometimes? Yes. We think that God is like, we, we could be just like Cain. It's only in self-pity, you know, that God, you're out, you're gonna kill, you know, just our twisted thinking. And this is why we need God's word to correct it. So thankful for God's word. I'm so thankful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful when God shows me when I'm wrong in my thinking or how I'm seeing things. And he corrects me. I'm thankful for it because I need it. Because it's so easy to be just like them. We could be just like them. God provided water from a rock in the midst of the wilderness. They had nothing to drink, dry, and that wilderness, there's nothing. I mean, there's nothing. When we went to Israel, we didn't go down where the Red Sea was, where they passed through, but as they journeyed to Canaan, we went into that desert area, and there's nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. There were caves where David did. We didn't get it. But it's so dry and barren. There's nothing. And he provided for them in that. He provided shelter from the sun and a fire by night for the cold nights. And all they did was murmur and complain. Murmur and complain. We're looking at why don't we doubt God? Hebrews 4, and this is really a reference to what I just shared, and you could read more on that whole wilderness account in Deuteronomy 1 through 3. But Hebrews 4 says um, about the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness, they hardened their hearts and they rebelled against God. They tested him, and the word that they heard wasn't mixed with faith. And that's why 
they never enter into that promised rest that God had told them they would. Scripture warns us in Psalm 95, verses 8 through 11, and Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 8, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work for 40 years, I was grieved with that generation and said, it's a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways, so I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And I wonder when God looks down on our generation, is he grieved in his heart? I know a part of this generation is grieved for what he sees. She's shaking her head saying, yeah, he is. I think he is, too. I do. That's why he's dealing with the church the way he is. One of the things that was said at the FBC conference, and I, I loved it, Ryan Wright had shared it Friday night, the first talk that he shared. There's people that say, and he used first John, they say, but they don't do and they were preaching on the whole book of James, all the speakers. And James said, don't be a hero only. Deceive yourselves. But the way Brian said it, there's people that say, but they don't do. And then they wonder why they're in the situation they're in. Why there's no growth spiritually. And because they have all this head knowledge, they deceive themselves thinking, but I know the word of God. What are you living? Are you living like you believe what God has said? Because the reality is, Scripture warns us. He was grieved with that generation because they didn't believe. And they saw the miracles. They saw greater miracles than we saw or have seen. The Red Sea split, manna coming down from heaven, the Egyptian army behind them, God supernaturally delivered them. The plagues in Egypt, we haven't seen anything. When you think about everything they saw and they didn't believe. So you think we need to take heed? Oh yeah. I need to take heed, yeah. Don't let my faith, my faith be fake, Lord. <laughs> let it be real. And that's why when trials come, I get the book of James because this weekend with the speakers, count it all joy. Count it all joy when we face various trials because God is trying to not only build character in us through the trials, but he wants us to know him, to yana him in a personal, intimate way in our generation. So how can we keep this ends on happiness? <laughs> how can we keep the fire of faith burning in our hearts until Jesus comes again? And how do we help others to do that too? 
that was that was the biblical council's conference, so I take that last part of the sentence out. But the first thing we need to do, there's six things I put, repent of our unbelief. That's like ongoing. Whenever the Lord shows you when you're trusting in something else, you just, just repent. I mean, I have to do that all the time. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. I'm going to tell myself because I think I have time. You all know I'm Ruth Saga that we went through. We had windstorms came. They blew our shingles off our roof. Two, two windstorms. And the insurance company was not going to cover it. They weren't going to cover it. So waiting, 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 phone calls, waiting, waiting, waiting. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm supposed to live by faith, not by sight. But Lord, what's taking so long? These windstorms <laughs> keep coming. I keep watching all these shingles keep flying off my roof. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm so life for the two months of waiting. The day I said to Jeff, I'm calling Daniel Cameron's office because he's the uh, uh, attorney general for, um, you know, stuff when uh, companies don't want to cover things, he steps in. So I said to Jeff, I'm, I'm going to just call Daniel um, Cameron. And uh, Adam knows him personally. So I was like, if they don't do something, call me. Do you know that day was the day we got the phone call from Wall Street. They were releasing the money for the whole roof to be changed. And I was like, Lord, I told you to do it. I was take, wanting to take matters into my own hand. I was waiting on you, but I was complaining the whole time, saying, don't you see my shingles? They keep going, going. What do we have to have the whole top of the house blow off for them to do something? I mean, that was my attitude. I had to repent. And I had to keep repenting, and keep repenting, and keep repenting. Forget it, when the check came, I really was repenting and dusting it. I was like, Lord, I'm sorry. You were faithful. Why did I ever doubt you? And he said, because you're teaching this class. That's why. examples. <laughs> OK. <laughs> Part of the lesson of learning and teaching on myself. So we need to repent. Trusting in ourselves, or trusting in our own wisdom, or trusting in the wisdom of this world. Because even our aging kept saying, we've never seen anything like this. They even took a special class and trained all their agents to know how to write a proposal so it would get approved. Because they had never seen anything like this before. But that's the wisdom of this world. And they're believers, our agents, and they would tell us, we're praying. We don't know how to sit simple. We're praying. We're praying for you guys that this thing will get resolved. We've never seen anything like this. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 11 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I send it. And that's reality. 
Jesus said, why do you worry about tomorrow? I know what you have need of me. Lord, I repent of my own belief. I repent. I repent of trying to take matters into my own hands and try to make something happen. Like, you need my help. You don't need my help. You just want me to be still and know that you are God. And not trying to manipulate things to try to make something happen. And that was the lesson he was teaching me through that whole thing. Number two, remember the heroes of faith. You can go through Hebrews 11, Psalm 78, verses 5 to 8. Says, for God has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, and the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope on God or in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, stubborn, rebellious, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to the Lord. So it's good to not only study the heroes of faith or like some of the men we looked at today in scripture, because <clears throat> what we see is how God brought them through in their generation how he gave them what they needed to be a witness in the earth. And we have their testimonies written down that encourage us in our generation. But not only should it stop with us, we need to be teaching it to the children and the children's children. We need to be passing it on because again, if you look at the state of the church today and also the state of our world, could it be because we have not done this? God hasn't said, and we've been hearing that from people in the church. God doesn't say that fornicating and, and living in sin is sin. No. I'm a believer. God, God understands. No, he doesn't. Sin is sin. He's holy. He's a holy God. He's righteous. And he judges sin. All his promises are yes and amen, even those. Yes. Adulterers and fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. Isaiah 25, 1 says, O oh Lord, you are my God, and I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. So again, that is uh, something that we do. Number three, be persistent in your walk with the Lord. Jesus said men should always pray and not lose heart in Luke 18, verse 1. But then he gave the parable of the unjust judge, right? And he said, shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? We want him to find faith in us, right? When he comes, he's coming. He is coming. He's coming again. So to do this, we have to stay connected to the vine. We have to be connected to him. Through prayer, having intimate fellowship. I put in parentheses there, yada, like Jesus did with the Father daily. 
Jesus was look, always looking for opportunity to get away, just be alone with the Lord. You know, just to quiet down and be alone with him. Lord, what do you have to say to me? Well, he, right here, he's got a lot to say to us. So we need to take that time to be with the Father like Jesus was worshiping who he is, reading, loving, treasuring, being a doer of the word, fellowshipping with like-minded believers who have a biblical world view. Very important. The percentages are getting higher and higher in the church of people who do not have a biblical world view including pastors, pastors. We also do this by 10, Hebrews 10, 2, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching, and that's what we're doing here today. Every time we come together, we're exhorting one another, we're encouraging one another, you know, um, we see the days approaching and it's like we need, you see, we need one another. We need fellowship with one another. Yes. Number four, be intentional about, uh, intentional about setting our hearts on things above where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary. It's temporary. It's temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. 2 Corinthians 4.18. We do this by meditating on scriptures such as Colossians 3, 1 through 3, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. The book of the revelation of Jesus Christ helps us to get our focus where it needs to be. Realizing that when we're in his word, we're in his presence. And he corrects our vision, right? It's like he reminds us, what are you living for? Why are you holding on to these things that are perishing? He corrects our perspective on our lives in this world, right? Or on life's events. He instructs us how we're supposed to live in our generation, just like he did the other believers that went before us. He also shows us how do we live out our faith? How do we live out our faith? As it gets darker and darker. Number five, meditate on God's faithfulness to you personally throughout the many years of your life. Psalm 119, 52 and 55 says, I remember your judgments of old, O Lord. That's something I have to do. And have comforted myself. That's something I have to do. I remember your name in the night, O oh Lord. That's something I have to do. Remember, why do we say and not do? Well, this you have to do. You have to choose. I will. I will. I will. Psalm 77, verse 10 through 14. I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely, I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your works and talk of your deeds. Your way, O oh God, is in the sanctuary, and who is so great a God as our God? You are the God who does wonders, and you have declared your strength among the peoples. You have, arm, you have with your arm redeemed your people, 
the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. And we've seen that. We've seen Israel, as we talked earlier, Jesus came, the Messiah came. So how you can do this to meditate on God's faithfulness to you personally through the many years of your life, you can keep a journal, write those things out, how God has been faithful to you. I've been sharing with some of the ladies here that at the end of the month or the beginning of the month, I go back and review my journal. And in my journal, I have like scriptures that I'm meditating on, truth that I'm getting from the scriptures, confession, lots of confession, confessing my sin before the Lord, praise is another section, what can I praise God for, give thanks, what can I give thanks for, in the midst of the roof thing, I was writing a lot of thank you, but my attitude still stunk, but still write the thank you, because <laughs> it probably would have been worse if I wasn't giving thanks, and then ask prayer. So I've been going back and reviewing it even at the end of the month or the beginning of the month, and it's interesting to see the theme. There's always a theme that God had me in for that month. But not only that, I see his faithfulness, how he provided, how he came through, the miraculous things he did that it's so easy to lose sight of. So we have to remind ourselves and keep a heart of gratitude in the midst of everything you're going through. That is so important. And when the Lord shows you you haven't been grateful, you just repent. Lord, I repent. God, cleanse me, wash me. Thank you for Jesus. You just appreciate Jesus more and more and the blood he shed and the cross because you realize there's no hope for me. If he didn't die, there'd be absolutely no hope for me because I am wretched through and through. And every time another child comes, God shows me my heart. But he also shows us what do we really believe about him. What do we really believe about him? So number six, be sure. And this is good for all your mamas and all your grandmas. Be sure to proclaim his faithfulness to the next generation. This is not the time to be silent. Yes. Not the time to be silent. Deuteronomy 4 verses 8 through 10 says, And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I have set before you this day? This is Moses speaking to the children of Israel. He told them, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. So that tells me there's a tendency to forget. And teach them to your children and to your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my word, that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. And we see that, right? We know that Moses existed. God did give him the Ten Commandments. We know that to be true. So teach these things to the children that this is true because the culture is saying this is a lie. It's not true. And if we don't teach them, 
the culture will. The culture will. So Psalm 89 verse 1, when we come together, like we did tonight, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth I'll make known your faithfulness to all generations. Something we have to do. Psalm 78, verse 2 to 8, I will open my mouth in a parable and I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. Let this be your children's sayings, guys. But your grandchildren, we will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he has established testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generations to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And may not be like their father's stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set his heart right and whose spirit was not faithful to God. So God is faithful. And I, Jesse, I sent her something the other day on our anniversary. I wanted her to read something. And um, she told me, she said, you need to close your class with what you sent me. So I was like, I wasn't planning on doing that, but if she says, hey, sure, maybe I should. So I'm going to read this to you. This is a prophetic word given by Pastor Craig on the day we got married. And the reason why I have this is because we videotaped the wedding ceremony and I wrote it down word for word. What he said. And I'm only sharing this so you see God's faithful. Jeff and Rose both believe there is a call greater than who they are as individuals on their lives. They are coming together to make a decision. They are coming together to say God has touched each of us individually with a purpose and a meaning to our lives. They believe God has spoken to them about a ministry or a call that they are still formulating, and I believe God is leading them. This is 32 years ago. They have said we have something in our hearts that we want to do and now we are coming before God because we believe God has told us not to do that alone. They are becoming helpmates to each other and it's a decision, it's a conscious choice that says we're going to do what you called us to do together and this is what love is. Love is not the center of marriage. The key in marriage is forgiveness. Forgiveness is what will make a marriage work. Forgiveness is what it is all about. All of us need to be forgiven over and over again. The key to marriage is constantly forgiving each other and growing up in the love of Jesus, a decision to be a helper to one another. I'm going to ask them, will they love each other and commit themselves to each other to constantly forgive each other and grow up in the love of Jesus? To make a decision to be a helper to one another, a sign to us of something greater than themselves. In the worst sickness and poverty, will they love each other? Are they going to be there when it's not so good? There will be times that will be unhappy, but in the midst of that, they will be a sign to us, a ministry to us of Jesus' power to forgive and love. 
when we see everything falling apart in the world, that Jeff and Rose would be a sign to us that love is more powerful, that Jesus is more powerful than all the pain and all the hurt, that they would be in the midst of this broken world a sign of hope. This is their ministry, that they will be a sign of hope to every married couple, a sign of hope, a sign of love, and of forgiveness. That is a lie. That is. Well, Jesse said you need to finish your question. Yes. I was like, but I wasn't planning on doing that. I remember all that. I was there. God's faithful. Wow. God is faithful. Wow. And you know the first three years of the journey that we took together. It was hell on earth. Being married to someone that was had a great job but had the secret life and using crack cocaine and doing what he was doing. But look what God has done. God is real. Yes, he is. He's faithful. All his promises are yes and amen. Amen. So I pray you all are encouraged tonight to keep holding on to the Lord and his faithfulness regardless. Regardless. And pass that knowledge of him to the next generation. Yes. And to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And to the next generation. I love when girls your age come to class. I love when their her age comes to class. I love when the babies come. The babies yet to come out. Because <laughs> those are all different generations. And I talked to Jan yesterday. And she's a dear, 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 dear sister of the Lord. Her and I have been help us, helped us to start this church. She's going to be eight in June. And when I got off the phone and I said, blessing. I mean, I guess an 80-year-old godly woman. I'm 60. I'll be 64. I generation. I mean, it's just it's beautiful what God does. How he puts women in our lives. Different generations so we can pour into them. I think about you ministering to Right here as well, Diane, you're a middle of you. I mean, you're pouring yourselves out. You're pouring yourselves out. You, a light to your daughter. I mean, your life is a light to her. She can't deny God is real. She can't deny that. She won't tell you that, but she can't <laughs> deny it. <laughs> so, so, keep persevering. Everyone keep persevering. I just... Can someone just close this out in prayer? Someone wants to close this in prayer? I'll close my eyes. I'm open to something. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. Um, I thank you for your truth, Lord. I thank you for continuing to guide us. Um, Lord, I thank you for um, being able to meet in this place here tonight, Lord. And um, just really hearing what I feel like we all need to be here. Um, Lord, I thank you for um, for all that you do, that for what you brought us through, Lord. Um, yes. For continuing to strengthen us in our faith, Lord. Um, I pray that you would just continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit, God. Um, I thank you for the kids who get to hear this message, Lord. I pray that you would uh, that you would water the seeds that were planted here tonight, Lord. Yes. Um, I just thank you. I can't. I can't. Uh, I'm just in awe all the time, Lord, just with the things that you do, and um, I just thank you for, for 
this allowing us to gather through the night and helping us yes. all to make it safe, Lord. I pray yes. that you would help us to uh, make it home safely and that we would uh, continue to meditate on what we have uh, read tonight, Lord. Um, I pray that you would continue to put that zeal in us to get into your work, Lord, to get to know you more. Yes. Um, I pray that you would strengthen our our uh, prayer life with you, Lord. Um, and I just thank you so much, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Yes. Amen. Amen. So does everyone know Eric?